Our third reading is from the book of Acts. Those who had been baptized devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, this time and place and all of these things, Lord, they are a sacred gift. And we just acknowledge you, Lord, in them and through them. And our prayer, Lord, is that by your grace that you would, Jesus, help us to be drawn closer to you. That all of this would be, Lord, a kind of threshold a door into which, like John on the Isle of Patmos, Lord, was able to, like, look into heaven and somehow Jesus be made closer to you. I pray that that would be true of us this morning. That you would put us, Lord, into the lives and the hours of the early church. As you moved among them, Lord, will you move among us? Holy Spirit, be as real and living and active today as you have ever been. in your mercy, and for your glory's sake, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is the, um, the fourth Sunday of the season of Easter. We are uh, well into the Easter season. And uh, we've been for the last few weeks, of course, baptizing and also um, sitting kind of fixed in this part of the early parts of, the, of Acts. As a kind of reminder that um, everything that happens in the book of Acts, of course, flows out of the event of Jesus' death and resurrection. And we would be remiss not to sort of focus on that this morning, that everything that happens in Acts, namely the birth of the church, the whole reason that we're here gathered, and that this happened, these, um, this incredible picture that we have of what it looked like for early Christians to come together, eat their food, and apparently that was like the holiest, one of the holiest things that they did, right? Is that they just, they ate together with glad and generous hearts. And somehow when they gathered at the table together and they prayed and they were just there in the name of Jesus, um, the church was born, the kingdom of heaven came. Something new had entered into the world, and all of that because of the resurrection of Jesus. And so the reason we have an Easter season is so that we can be reminded, and you've heard me say this, but it bears repeating, that when we celebrate Easter and we celebrate the resurrection, it cannot be only for us a looking back, a kind of in memoriam, remembering what happened way back then. That actually the whole point of Easter is for us to be reminded of the fact that because of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit is in the world. Pentecost happened as a result of the resurrection. And because the Holy Spirit is in the world, he is still gathering people together, filling them with the Spirit, binding them together in the name of Jesus, and making the kingdom of heaven come at real tables in real homes. 
that that is as possible, amen, Andy, today as it has ever been for us. And all of that because something actually happened. And I'm struck by that, was struck by it as I was reading um, this, I'll maybe never get over it. it, kind of historically, I'm intrigued by the birth of the church. You are an unlikely event. And not just like unlikely. Um, as unlikely maybe as arguably this entire creation. Just statistically speaking, we ought not to be here. So much stacked against us. And actually, um, it wasn't all that uncommon for Jewish would-be messiahs to incite insurrections, to incite rebellions against Rome in the name of the coming of the Messiah. That happened quite a lot, actually, before Jesus and after him. The only reason that you don't know who any of those people were is because when Rome killed them, as they killed Jesus, the movements that began in their name stopped. It was a very simple strategy for Rome. Yes, yes, Jewish revolts will happen, would-be messiahs will arise, and when they do, we'll kill them, and then they all disband. And that's what happened. Except for this one time. And the strategy not only did not work, but it actually had the opposite effect. And so I just like, take your Christian hat off for a second and just think about it historically. After the death of Jesus, setting his resurrection over here, not only did the movement that began in his name not disband and die, but it actually grew. That there were more followers of Jesus who professed their faith in him and devoted their lives to serving him after he died than while he lived. And that's just like historically curious. So the birth of the church does not prove, I guess, the resurrection. But y'all, something happened. And that's what the church has said. And so if you find yourself here, someone who just like, you know, doesn't have the energy to believe in fairy tales, I, I think you're in safe company, actually. That there are moments, in, moments like this where I am like confronted by the reality of the, I mean, real people at real tables in the first century sat and broke bread together and their lives were changed because something happened. The resurrection, yes, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I guess the reason that that matters to me so much today is because we cannot afford, y'all, to forget that it happened then because we will start to believe that or forget that it can happen now. It must. That's the point of an Easter season. So that you don't forget that the resurrection is a fact. The Holy Spirit is living and active. And he still intends to build the kingdom of heaven through real people at real tables. And so it's with that hope that we can look at what happened in the first century, not only to like reflect on it, um, but to hope for it. Do you hope for it? I've read this text countless times, you can imagine. This is like my job description as a pastor. You're going to go lead the church, read Acts 2, just do that. Oh, cool. <laughs> I'll just do that then. It's easy to read this and have a kind of like romanticized and idealized vision of what it was like, you know, to be a Christian 
in the first century, like right after the resurrection. And we could spend our time together going through and sort of making a list. Like this was, this is what happened. This was the real church. This is what it looks like, you know, when the kingdom of heaven comes and the Holy Spirit empowers people and changes people's lives. Here's what it looks like. And we could list out those things. And well, we should. This is a really incredible picture of what the kingdom of heaven looks like and should be like in the church. Namely, us like devoting ourselves to prayer, to teaching, to fellowship, to eating food together, to doing justice for one another. Those things are really important. And I could put a list of them out in front of all of you and name them as kind of markers of a real church and say, y'all, this is our job description. This is what it will mean for Christ the King to be the church now. We just have to do all of these things. And so I want to say two things about that. One, we do have to do all of those things in Jesus' name. This is not optional. This is what the church is when it's filled with the Spirit. But that's the second thing, and the thing that I feel impressed upon today to make sure that we do not forget is that what happened in Acts 2 in the first century is what happened when real people's lives were changed by the Holy Spirit. And the reason that that feels so important to name is because I am aware of the fact that we live in a world in which things like belonging, community, justice, we live in a culture that already values those things. Do you know what I'm saying? Find somebody who's just like, no, justice don't. And I mean, I know, I'm sure you have relatives and people that you think that you could name right now who don't care about justice. I understand. <laughs> but a quick scroll through Instagram or anything else will tell you. We live in a culture that's like fairly starved for community that wants to, even in some kind of like idealistic way, believe in justice for all people. Yeah, sure, we're all for it. We already have a value for those things. I'll tell you what we don't have a value for is repentance. We don't so much have a value for prayer. Culturally speaking, I'm not saying that's true of you or us even, but culturally there isn't a value for repentance. Culturally there isn't a value for prayer and there sure isn't a value for the authority of Jesus as somebody who like actively and presently has real authority over my life like a shepherd. You'll notice, not by accident, that along with the psalm that we read, Psalm 23, these texts all, and putting in front of us this image and idea of Jesus as shepherd, which is lovely to imagine him as someone who, with the gentleness of a shepherd, scoops up the lambs and holds us close to his heart and carries us when we feel tired and leads us beside still waters and makes us lie down in green pastures. We love that. But you also have to remember, and I think especially when we look at Acts 2, that this shepherd also has real authority. <laughs> Hence the rod and the staff that the whole point and purpose of a shepherd was to keep the sheep safe by leading them and guiding them. And so my point is that what happened in Acts 2 is the result of repentance, prayer, and being led by the real authority of Jesus. And so if the church would like to get really serious about a kind of fellowship at our tables and a kind of justice that actually inspires our neighbors and changes people's lives, then we are going to have to get really serious, y'all, about repentance, prayer, and the authority of Jesus. You can't have one without the other. Not in the kingdom of heaven. Not in the way that actually changes people's lives.
And so it's, it's hard to know, you know, like, where do you start? Because I um, very much appreciate and respect the criticism that would say of a church or of someone like me, yeah, we just never actually get around to, like, loving people and the doing justice part because we're always making sure our souls are right, you know? You just got to be extra sure that your soul's right before you get out there and do something. Please don't misunderstand me. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying to you is that my efforts at creating fellowship around my table, my vision for what justice would look like in Northwest Arkansas will not be enough to change anybody's life, not really. Not in the way that we need to. I am not the shepherd of this church, Jesus is. And you are not the shepherd of your life, Jesus is, or at least that's the way that it's meant to be. Do we believe, do we hope for, do we want the authority of Jesus to lead us in our real life? That's the question. Because I want Acts 2. I think we all do. But what ends up happening is that we go around kind of shopping for these kinds of tables and these kinds of churches, you know? Maybe if I move over there or if I go to that group of friends or if I go to that church, then like they'll be the ones to get it right and Acts 2 will happen. And maybe. I just heard someone say the other day, I've been looking all my life for the real church. Where it, y'all? This is it. It's us. Your table. My table. Your friends, my friends. The prayers you pray or don't pray. Your hours, our lives. That is the soil it always has been for the kingdom of heaven. And the good news for me when I think about Acts 2 is that, you know what, that was just like regular old first century Palestine. And that prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, those homes were actually racist strongholds because Jews didn't eat with Gentiles. So what was happening at those tables prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit is that actually racism dictated who ate at that table. Or, you know, better to say, preference dictated who ate at that table. And that we ate with those who were like us. Tribalism existed then just as it exists now. And that actually we weren't terribly concerned with those who didn't have what we had. We didn't feel like it was our responsibility. That was happening in first century Palestine in the same way that it's happening here. And then the Holy Spirit came. And those same tables that were formerly like bound by racism and tribalism and all the other isms became places where the kingdom of heaven took root. Little outposts, little glimpses, little oases. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We read that psalm and we think, yes, Lord, lead me into peace and stillness. God, Jesus is the one who in this chaotic world sets me beside things that make me feel peaceful and restful, and I like that. And that is true. That is true. I pray this prayer with my kids at night. I want them to go to Jesus to feel like God is the one who comforts them, holds them, protects them, gives them peace. 
but I cannot also forget that when Jesus looked at the disciples and said, don't leave Jerusalem, stay here until the Holy Spirit comes, and they stayed, that's being led by the good shepherd. That's what it means to lie down in green pastures. In other words, stop. Let me lead you, and right here is where you need to lie down. Not over there, here. You need to come over here beside these waters in order to be refreshed. And the truth is, sometimes I like the way that he's leading, and sometimes I do not. I suspect, given the next part of the psalm, he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. No sheep wants to go into a dark place. But a good shepherd knows that if we don't go into it, we'll never get through it and onto the other side. And so sometimes he leads us there. So the question that I have for myself and for us this morning is what does it look like for us to be led by Jesus as a good shepherd, not just comforted by him as one, you know? In your real life, do you have a vision for how he's leading you? What it looks like for you to stop when he says stop? And I can barely get the words out without hearing the cynic in myself and no doubt in many of you. Oh, really? I guess we just sit around like this all day and pray and wait for Jesus to lead us, do you know, to where he wants us to go. What does that really look like? What does that really mean? If that's how you feel, I get it. Have you, though, tried to live your life that way? And here's what I mean. Are we in a place where we could say, of me, it is my posture and my hope. I wake up in the morning, and even if I don't say these words, my posture is, the Lord is my shepherd. Lord, today you make me lie down in green pastures, and today you lead me beside still waters. Today. Because I just want to say, I actually believe that if we will do that, individually and together, choose to be led by him, choose to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, to hope for him, expect him together that the kingdom of heaven will come at your actual table and in our church. I do. He must. As I was reading, I was reminded of one of my like, favorite images in the New Testament. It's from Revelation 5. I don't know if you remember this part. I, many of you have probably been a minute since you've read Revelation. I don't blame you necessarily. But Revelation is a letter to the church. It's a vision for the church in really difficult times when we feel like we're not winning. John gets this incredible gift of visions at a time when he feels like the church is not winning. And you're tempted to believe that like whatever God is doing, he's doing like elsewhere. <laughs> you know, like it's happening somewhere else, but it can't actually be happening in my life or, you know, in my home or my church or whatever. It's just happening somewhere else. And John has these, he has a revelation, he has a vision. And in one of them, he gets um, a vision of heaven and God is holding a scroll in Revelation 5. 
And this scroll, John somehow knows, contains within it redemptive history, like the future. The future and the world we all hope for. The kingdom of heaven, Acts 2. A life where we can sit at tables and we can experience real fellowship and we can forgive one another and pray for one another and have friendship and fellowship and do justice and like lives are changed. God's holding this story in a scroll and it's all locked up, which is a powerful image because I think that's how some of us feel about it. Like it's a story that I can read, but as far as like actually living into it, it's all locked up for me. I can't access it. It's sealed. And it's sealed real tight. In Revelation 5, there are seven seals. Locked. Shut. And God's holding it like this. And all of heaven knows that the only way that we can access that future, that hope, that life, is if somebody can open up the scroll. And of course, if you've read the passage or heard the songs, you know there's nobody. Nobody's worthy. Nobody's able to come and open the scroll, to unlock it, to give us to like entrance into the story. And all of a sudden, somebody says, wait, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy. He can unlock the scroll. John's crying, hopeless, in despair, and he's so thrilled that he, a lion has come, mighty, strong, somebody with all these muscles that can unlock this scroll, you know, the king we're all waiting for, the vision we hope for. And John opens his eyes and he looks up and what does he see? A lamb, looking as though it had been slain. And the reason I think that is so powerful is because, do you remember that part when Jesus looked out at the crowds and he, it says he felt he, he felt compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you remember? Y'all, that's how faith feels so much of the time. If you're trying to live this cross-shaped, resurrection-shaped life, if you're actually living the life of Jesus, what you feel like so much of the time is a bloodied, beaten lamb, defeated. Like you don't have the strength to make real the thing you hope for. Like you can't do or be in the world what you long for. And I love the Bible so much because it names something for me that I can't, in other words, don't know how to articulate, but yeah, that's how it feels. I open my eyes, I hope for deliverance, and what I see is that, a bloody lamb, which is also how I feel. And then the great glory of the story, of course, is that that bloody lamb walks up to the throne of God takes this scroll in his hand and all of heaven falls down before him. He's worthy. He's able. He has done it. And I want you to hear the words of the passage so that you can remember what Jesus has made true, what he has already done. You are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals, all of heaven says, because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language. That's us. That's me. I am a Gentile from rural Arkansas, thousands of miles from where the resurrection took place. But because of who Jesus is, he has purchased from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. 
In other words, your table can be, will be, shall be an outpost for the kingdom of heaven. Your life. Even though, and especially maybe when, it does not bear the marks of victory and strength, do not be discouraged because it is through that life that the kingdom of heaven is coming. That Jesus is bringing redemption restoration and healing. We just have to hold on to that hope, to pray into that hope, and to ask him to lead us. We don't have to be anxious about it, y'all. He lives. Thanks be to God. He lives. He will lead me beside still waters and make me lie down in green pastures. And he will bring the church and the kingdom of heaven because he lives. So may it be so. Amen.